0: Motivating Dave. Learning to survive your 30s.
1: Hello, it's the Motivating Dave podcast, which is basically 20 minutes of me begging, stealing and borrowing successful people's ideas to sort out my fitness and well-being. Coming up this episode... Well, I'm looking at the horrible truth of just how much I've let myself slide. If you're thinking about your health,
2: you have got issues here.
1: Yep, I'm letting a real-life doctor poke around and tell me just how screwed I am. Then I chat to Olympic superstar Sam Quek about balancing fitness
0: and health with being a real human being. A lot of people think you've got to be straight down the line, nothing. No fast food, no alcohol, nothing. But I learned after 2012 that I think sometimes that's why I was unhappy. The Motivating Dave Podcast. Hello, thank
1: you very much for downloading and listening to The Motivating Dave Podcast. This is episode one of six by the look of things, episodes—they're all going to be about twenty minutes long, and basically each episode will focus on an inspirational person. Now, they're not necessarily just going to be from the sporting world; uh, they could be from from wherever. But hopefully, I'm going to use some of their ideas to make my life a little bit better because I'm 34, I've got three kids, and things like fitness and mental well-being they've fallen a little bit down the pecking order of things that I focus on. So I thought it's time to address that. It's time to get fit. It's time to lose a bit of the old stomach fat and get myself in shape. And so what better place to start than by popping along to see a doctor who can uh, who can poke around and tell me just quite how bad things are.
0: The Motivating Dave Podcast.
1: Right, so I'm just walking up to see the doctor now. He's hopefully going to tell me that I'm not too unhealthy. I'm
2: Alan Johnston, uh, GP at Single Surgery. Been there for 30-something years. Your blood pressure... The pressure in your arteries varies mm-hmm. so um, it's it's an elastic system so there's always a bit of pressure in it as your heart pumps the pressure goes up yeah the heart relaxes it goes down but not to nothing right so your heart uh, your blood pressure is varying between the uh, the highest it goes and the lowest it goes yeah. and both numbers are important so when you put the cuff on your arm it squeezes yeah when you squeeze it so tight that you cut off the blood supply there's no flow Okay so you can't hear anything right as you relax it you get to the point where just for a fraction of a uh, second the blood's going through and you hear a little tap right and then when you continue to relax it you get to the point where it's just flowing freely and that that's your bottom figure okay so it's the highest the blood pr- pressure ever gets and the lowest it ever is okay and so you get two numbers yeah and they both have targets okay now just checking your blood pressure there it's 138 over 100 Right, okay. So 138, I'm happy with. Yeah, but the hundred is uh, a little bit on the high side. Right, now, okay. it's a one-off. You never make any judgment on a one-off, as you say. Stressful night. All sorts of reasons why it could be out. Okay. But that needs checking again. Okay. And if it consistently was around about 100, then you are borderline for um, raised blood pressure. Okay. Uh, uh, Or having to treat raised blood pressure. Right, okay. Um, If it comes out that it's a little bit lower than that, then it's still uh, a a concern. What's the sort of zone you're looking for with that lower number? Well, right. Um, If it's under 140 over 90, we'll relax. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's one of those things. There's no such thing as too low a blood pressure yeah. unless you fall over. If <laughs> okay. you start fainting, your blood pressure is too low. Sure. But the lower it is, the longer you live yeah, right. as simple as that so okay. um, they reckon that for every every two the numbers if you add two on it increases your risk of say things like heart attacks or stroke by somewhere between 7 10% right okay. so just a two an increase of two is significant right okay. so if you're 10 above the target then that's i mean all right your your risks at your age are tiny yeah so to multiply them by 50% still it's it's not going to happen yeah but nevertheless it, that's to, at your age the trouble is you add a year to the formula right every year and right. you can't get away from that
1: sure so i mean what sort of factors could be pushing that high is that is that um stress is that uh lifestyle is that lack of exercise what, what's pushing it that high? that
2: it's basically all of those things so uh, a lot of lifestyle advice They all link together. Okay. So, you know, can you get away with um, smoking heavily if you take plenty of exercise and uh, you're really thin? Mm. No. That's not the point. The thing is, uh, what can you do that will increase your life expectancy and more than that can improve your health? Right. Because I think the main problem of the NHS is primary care is too good. If you go back to when the NHS was in, uh, first started, people very conveniently reached retirement age of 65 and then a few years later died. <laughs> well, we've improved on that. So you've got these folk who are still getting to retirement age of 65 and then living on for another 30 years. Mm. Um, and then you get expensive, so if everybody would start smoking cigarettes, do all the bad stuff again, and just conveniently die
1: before they reach 70,
2: the NHS would be saved. Um, so it's, I say it's not just about living longer, it's also about living healthier. Yeah, you don't so, want to be
1: getting to 70 and being falling to bits, yes. basically.
2: So a, a lot of the lifestyle stuff, it's not just simply about living longer, it's also about l- being fitter and enjoying those extra years. Yeah. Um, so it's good advice anyway.
0: The Motivating Dave Podcast.
1: Right, so that was pretty chastening. Um, I sort of knew that that was going to be the case but um, yeah it's always weird when someone tells you it. So um, yeah this is what this is all about. Getting myself fit and healthy. And um, trying to make uh, things fit into my life a little bit better, make a bit of time for exercise, do some healthy eating, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what we're going to do. Right, I'm here with Sam Quek, gold medal winning Sam Quek. And to be honest, you know, it's all going to be downhill from here. Any guest that I have on now is going to be just a bit of a letdown, so... You know Aww, I'll just I'll let them'll let I'll of, yeah. let them know. it's hard hard to compete. right. So for anyone who doesn't know um who's been living under a rock for the last twelve months, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: I am a twenty-year-old, eight-year-old lady, uh, originally from West Derby, now on the Wirral, and lived in Marlow for the past ten years. Basically, where's Marlow? Marlow is by Henley, a bit, about twenty minutes away from Heathrow. All oh, right, okay. So, day and surf. All oh, right, okay. And um, yeah, I've been chasing my dream to become an Olympic gold medalist for the past ten years. And for me, that dream came true this summer at the Rio Olympic Games. And I am now the holder of an Olympic gold medal, which I achieved with the GB women's hockey team. And I can
1: confirm that because I have worn that gold medal.
0: You have. It's heavy, isn't
1: it? It's heavier and more impressive than I ever expected it to be, (laughs) which is pretty cool. Um, The the first time I saw a gold medal, um, it was a chap called Tom James. You know Tom James? He was a rower. Oh, uh, so in London, he he won gold at London, and I couldn't bring myself to hold it. No, but you um you kind of just ran up and threw it. At yeah, you so. had no choice, <laughs> <did you>? <laughs> <laughs> which is all good. Um, so yeah, you you achieved your dream of winning a gold medal, but it wasn't that straightforward, was it?
0: Oh no, absolutely not. There was more times I was in bed crying, didn't get selected, injured, run down. Everything under the sun you can think of, which is actually telling you that you can't achieve your dream. And then Olympic gold medal. Everybody knows about the champagne moments, the gold medal moments, but not a lot of people hear about, obviously, the bad times that you have and you feel so down, so low, and it just it pushes you to an edge sometimes where you think, I can't do it, um, and you just have to come back stronger.
1: What's the... What was the, we'll we'll get to the good bits. What was the lowest bit for you? Uh, Was it London, not being in London?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Missing out on London 2012. And there's a group of 31 girls that train and you find out probably about three weeks before you fly or, you know, you compete at the Olympics. In an email, a list of 16 names, who's going to be representing Great Britain. And if your name's not on it, that's it. You're done. It's brutal. Some people think you know that's not very personal, but as a squad, we came up with decision. That's how we wanted it. So everybody could be at their own homes, the place where they felt most comfortable when that news came through.
1: So, what did you do when uh, when London was on? What what did you do with yourself?
0: Um, I always made a pact with myself that I'd go and watch every single game because at the end of the day, it's and people we always talk about it. It's a product of 31 girls because we've trained for the past four years. Um, pushing each other harder, making sure that we run faster, we're tackling harder, we're hitting the ball quicker. So whatever's happening at the Olympics at that time is the product of 31 girls. So I said, right, I'm going to go and watch every single game. Um, And it was tough. I'm not going to lie. I had a few drinks beforehand to take off the edge. Um, And I sat with the other girls who hadn't got selected um, when they won the bronze medal and they were running around the pitch celebrating. I just remember being in tears thinking, right, this goes one of two ways. It either goes... Down the path of I'm going to quit, I can't be doing this again. I can't miss out on the Olympics because I actually started playing pre-Beijing 2008 Olympics. So I missed out on that as well. Or I come back stronger. I don't let anything get in my way and I make Rio and I go and win a medal in Rio.
1: Because obviously you you would have geared everything towards going to London and you didn't make it. Did you think, okay, well, I'm going to have to change the way I approach this to make it? What did you have to do?
0: Yeah, definitely. I went and had about four week, five week holiday. I went and traveling to Thailand, cleared my head, didn't worry about anything. And then when I came back into the programme in 2013, there was a brand new coach. So it was, for me, it was brilliant, it was fresh, the slate was clean, no past history with any other coaches. And then he got sacked in 2014. And then the coach who had been in charge for the London cycle came back in. So I had to change my mindset then and think, listen, Sam, Danny hasn't got anything against you, it's all just you. And, you know, he... That, that was proved right when he made me captain in 2014 in November. And then it all started going downhill from there, actually. So I'd enjoyed silver European medal, silver Commonwealth Games medal. And in November 2014, um, the first game of the tournament, a girl came into my side and I ended up breaking two of my ribs. But I didn't find out until I got home that Christmas. So I played the whole tournament, albeit not at my best just, because just I was so casually small.
1: being hard there.
0: Yeah, casually. I just remember being drugged up, actually, for the most <laughs> of it on painkillers. <laughs> falling asleep on the bus beforehand. But um, yeah, so I was captain for that tournament. And then I didn't actually get a fit until the following March. So this is March 2015. And in the June 2015, we had the Rio qualifiers. Now I didn't come back into form. I was getting injury after injury. I wasn't getting selected, and then when I did get fit, I wasn't even in the top four selected defenders. And four go to tournament. There's about nine, ten of us that train. So from going to the pinnacle of your sport, the proudest moment ever, winning um, the captaincy for the team to not even getting selected for the games at Bisham Abbey, practice matches, Um, all the feelings of 2012 came back and I just felt embarrassed mainly Mm. that I was potentially not going to make my my third Olympics and I was letting everyone down who'd invested time in me, things like that. And then, um, yeah, didn't get selected for the qualifiers. They went on to win and I had three weeks to turn it around. So I went away to Croatia, got fit, had a bit of a talk with my boyfriend at the time, Tom, And he pretty much had a bit of stern words saying, Sam, listen, it's all in your head. You're the one looking at it thinking the coach has got something against you. The glass is half empty. And I was a miserable person. I was a miserable person for about four months. (laughs) So it took a very, very frank conversation, which I didn't like, to tell me that I wasn't being good enough, both mentally and physically. And I managed to get selected for Europeans. And I haven't really looked back since.
1: It's pretty mad that you're on the edge of being in the England team, the Great Britain team, and you kind of your feelings were being embarrassed that's just mental
0: yeah well it was I mean <laughs> you know as I say like it sitting, shows the kind of level you were at yeah I mean I'm highly competitive not only with myself but I like to prove that others are wrong as well um, and then when you, I used to go back and tell like my friends and family I hadn't been selected like it wasn't just me who was disappointed they were obviously disappointed for me and felt for me so yeah Rio for me and that European selection was huge um, and it was yeah it's been the best year probably of my life
1: it must have been pretty exciting with going off to Rio and the way it kind of caught people's imagination here because it, it certainly felt like... I know I had a, a vested interest because I, I, I've known you from a while back, but, you know, it certainly felt like people were talking about hockey. Yeah. And, and that must have been great.
0: It's crazy, yeah, because when we were in Rio, we were in our bubble, so everybody came off social media. We all had separate phones where we had about five numbers in our phone, so we were just talking to, like, closest friends and family. And then when we landed in Heathrow, we won the gold medal. It was just incredible. Everybody knew the story of the hockey girls, the gold medal match. And with it being peak time on a Friday night, everyone had watched it. So it was the biggest audience we've ever had for a hockey match. It's about nine million people, I think. Yeah, it? yeah, so nine, ten million. Yeah. Crazy. On a Friday night, people turning over from the United game, I think, apparently, <laughs> in, in pubs, which, is, you know, it's about time they realised. Always, um, always a bonus. <laughs> So, yeah, to know that the hockey obviously was so inspired by us as a team and we've seen in the Sports Personality of the Year Awards, BT Awards, Telegraph Awards, everything we've been acknowledged and some of them awards we've won.
1: So when it comes to, like, motivating yourself, because I am looking to make a bit of a change in my life and I am, you know, (laughs) sliding into being mid thirties and I've got three kids and finding time to get fit and motivated and things like that is pretty difficult I'm not asking you to fix my problems (laughs) what I am I am asking is you know how could you you know what sort of motivational ideas and tips have you got you know you you said you hit sort of rock bottom and you you obviously had the support of someone really close to you to turn around and speak frankly to you and say okay you need to do this I know that I'm, uh, you know, not the shape I was 10 years ago. I know that I don't exercise or anything like I used to. I need to eat healthy and things, but still I don't do it. How how can I, you know, what tips have you got for someone to motivate themselves, really focus on something? How do you focus?
0: I mean, for me, I always see myself as two separate people. So I see Sam Quack, the elite performer, the elite athlete, and then I've got Sam Quake which I've experienced a lot more in the past uh How many months now? Four months (laughs) post-Olympics. Because I've not had to train, I've not had to go to training. But Elite Sam, my motivation was quite simply the gold medal. That's Mm. what used to get me up. It was knowing that when I went down to the pitch, there was... 30 other girls there waiting for me to turn up and if I didn't turn up, then that would ruin the practice. So it's very easy in elite, an elite sense to make sure you're doing it all because you've got so many people dependent on you. And ultimately, if you don't get there, you don't keep up with your squad members, you're not going to get selected. So it's pointless, really. Mm. But the past six months, I've found, obviously, myself slipping into a bit of a normal lifestyle, um, being busy doing work and whatnot. And for me, the, the two main things are, like you say, motivation and time. Because mm. A... Motivation, you need a reason to get up, and everybody has a reason in their head, and they know it's good for you, they know they want to lose weight, and things like that. But for me, it has to be more external. So, one of my things I always say to people is grab a mate or go to a club, play a team sport where there's people going to be there who are going to say to you, Right, I'll see you tomorrow at eight o'clock, or I'll see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. after work, whatever it may be. Mm. Because once you have that person who depends on you, then you know you can't let them down. So, for me, that is definitely personally what would get me out and doing things and then the second one of time again that just has implications all over so time to get the gym time to go to a club time to play a sport also time to cook or time to go to the supermarket I mean I've known I've been getting in at like nine o'clock I've been leaving the house at 7am getting in at nine and the last thing you want to do is cook a full-on meal so yeah that's a difficult one it's so easy now especially on apps or ringing up takeaways just to get a quick fix but for me again it's just the organization and I suppose is it easier to you know click while you're doing your shop at Tesco so it's there at the door when you arrive. But I think now it's very, very easy to just get really simple recipes, whether it's on um, Instagram or Facebook, whatever it may be. So they're the two main things, motivation and time. And I think it's so important to make time for yourself. Mm. Um, and a lot of people probably spread themselves so thinly across work, friends, family. Um, and I've probably learned in the past, as I say, a few weeks even, that I need to make time for me. So whether that's to sleep, whether that's to exercise or eat properly, that's ultimately the most important thing. Because if you're not happy, the people around you aren't going to be happy.
1: It's it's really interesting hearing you say that. I mean, I, I've never lived in a world um, more detached away from having to think about myself, if that makes sense. Um, it's been so easy for me to let things slide because I've got to think about my three kids and that's all I'm thinking about. I'm getting up ridiculously early to go to work. And then it's kind of like, if you then factor in, I need to go to the gym or I want to go and play golf for three or four hours or something like that. And then you know you've got your kids at home with your wife who's juggling everything like that. It's so hard to motivate myself to do that. But I am going to do that. You know, 2017, that's the year that it that it gets sorted. But I like the, the thinking of the, you know, working out with someone or, or joining a team or something so you've got people relying on you. Because it does give you that extra... Uh, that extra kick when you when you were refocusing after 2012 and you were looking at um, you know you were aiming for for Rio and you were thinking this you know this is it I've got to I've got to really focus it Did you live like a saint or did you still have you know Do you still go and have a blowout every now and then?
0: <laughs> you see, you know what? I've always been very very honest and frank about this question because a lot of people think you've got to be straight down the line, nothing, no fast food, no alcohol, nothing. But I learned after 2012 that I think sometimes that's why I was unhappy because I was taking it so, so seriously and never ever letting myself have a bit of a blowout or a relaxed time time of the week that I'd just come to the, a moment and I'd just crash mm. and I'd have no motivation. I wasn't enjoying it. So for me... Um, we work on a three week uh, one week three week on one week off basis so on the Friday at the end of the three weeks I used to have a bit of a blowout so I'd go and get a takeaway I'd go out with the girls or Quad whatever. VODs yes Quad VODs at the uh, you know good old Slaters <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, elder brother and whatnot. but yeah I had to because I know come the following week on the Monday when I got back in with the squad I was ready and raring to go yeah And, you know, some people may disagree with that and some people may actually understand it. But for me, it's very, very individualised.
1: When I used to really, really take the gym seriously, and we're looking at a decade ago now, I used to go through these phases where it would be like so focused on going to the gym. All I would do would be, it would be clean eating. I wouldn't be drinking. I wouldn't have chocolate or anything like that. And I would absolutely cane it like that for about three months. And then I'd have one slip up and it would be like oh well, it's not worth it now forget everything <laughs> so i think what i'm trying to say is i struggle with focus and motivation that's why i'm talking no, to you. you um to try and uh, to try and find some way of uh,
0: the thing of is though down. you also as well in everyday life there's so many different opportunities I know it's really easy, but like I know it's cliche. People say, oh, take the stairs instead of the lift. Have you seen how
1: many stairs this place has?
0: Oh, my God, no. Apart from this, apart from the Radio City Tower, that's the exception.
1: Literally, and I've had to walk them. It was about three days after I arrived here, the fire alarm went off and everyone started going down the stairs. And I said, are we really? And they said, yeah. And then when we got down there, uh, the lift was broken, so we had to walk back up. So there's a lot of stairs.
0: Yeah, well, maybe not in here, but (laughs) yeah, there's all different types of opportunities. And I think the main thing is... Um, I mean, I'd, I did a study in university about whether it's the impact of diet or exercise and the best way, like, you know, to beat obesity and things like that. And one of the main things was just nutrition, because ultimately, if you're eating more calories than you're burning off, of course, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get weight on and things like that. So, yeah, it's really difficult. And as I say, it's only been the last few months where I've been able to appreciate actually the normal lifestyle of your everyday person rather than being the elite athlete. Mm. Because when you're in that environment, it's very easy, and you know you have to do it.
1: Do you get all your food and stuff prepared for you?
0: No, 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 no. no do so yeah, I used to go on Mondays after training and just get, it was all just clean food. It was just meat, veg and everything. I used to say a, a rule which I lived by when I obviously was training was making sure that everything I cooked was, it was not pre-prepared. So I mean, I'd, every, so maybe like a sauce, sauces of fine or whatever, mm. every so often. But um, it would just be my own meat, my own veg, cooked it in, in ways I wanted. Yeah.
1: well, there you go. So you're talking about um, just to sort of round everything off, you've you've talked about how uh, you've sort of been living a bit of a normal lifestyle recently. You you call being in the Australian jungle a normal <laughs> lifestyle. It wasn't that normal, was it? Was you it good what? fun?
0: It was amazing. I had such a great, great time, but it was difficult. I think mentally more so than physically. I love my food. So the fact that we were on a little bag of rice every day, I think it was like 750 calories. Of course it took a toll. I mean, I lost just under a stone, which I didn't really have to lose. But you look at the likes of Martin Roberts, who uh, came in a week later than everyone else, but he used to say that he used to drink a bottle of wine every night. Crikey. Um, and within the two weeks, he'd lost so much weight, he'd stopped snoring. <laughs> his eyes became a lot clearer and whiter just because he'd stopped drinking. And he stopped taking his inhaler. Really? So, and yeah, and the first day he came into camp, where you go to collect the wood and water is at the bottom of the creek. And we're talking about 500 yards and... Um, I went down with him and we were carrying about three or four logs each. I and mean, they're really small logs. And he had to stop three times. <laughs> but by the end of it, he was going down off his own back doing it. And he said to me, he was like, you know what, Sam? I'm doing this so often now because I feel like I'm achieving, like my achievement from where I was to where I am is just incredible. And that's two weeks. That's two weeks of just solely eating very, very clean food. And when I say clean, the basics. So no sauce, no oils, no fats or anything like just that. Just rice and chicken. Literally just veg and meat and rice, and that was it for two weeks solid. And it's not like we did a mega amount of exercise because you sat around most of the day. But for him, he was like your typical example. If you smash it for two weeks, you can, yeah, yeah. But that's obviously the extreme. Like I'm not saying go around no, and eat 700 calories a day. No, but well, you know,
1: I've have d- done both styles though. I've mm. done the I've done the extreme, and and do you know what? I, I know I'm not supposed to advocate things like this, but um, the first time I did that. It was um, in my first year at university, I put on loads of weight. And then in the summer, just absolutely didn't eat anything nasty or anything like that and was really, really strict. and I lost about two and a half stone. But it's like um, the idea of doing that now, it's just because I I don't get enough sleep because of the hours I work and Mm. having kids and things like that. And it's dead easy to eat just when you're tired it's dead easy just to, and in a place like this as well how do you have willpower what's your what's your willpower that is it a case of focusing on something and saying no i need that goal i need to be able to focus on that and do that because the amount of chocolate they bring in in this place is ridiculous oh, i don't, I don't yeah. even didn't you even used to eat chocolate until i started working in the media
0: no i'm the same so i i'm a massive fan of crisps i could eat bags and bags and bags of salt and vinegar crisps and it got to a point where I just had to stop buying them to the point where I had to stop even walking down the aisle because it got that bad. So for me, it was just like, don't have them in the house whatsoever. But obviously when you're in work and things are right about, I, you know what? I would say don't even, don't stop yourself from having them. And as I say, it's all about moderation. So if you say to yourself, right if you have like three packs a day, right, just cut down to one packet a day. You can't just cut it all off because that's when you end up having like a massive binge. So I think it's just weighing up really where you are as a person, what you want to do and in what time frame. Because you want to do it really hard because you've got about two months to do it. And then of course, you're going to have to really cut off everything. But if you just want a general healthy lifestyle, then just cut down on everything that you do. Up the exercise a little bit more, but you don't have to massively change it very quickly. It's all about kind of progressing into a place where you feel comfortable.
1: And there you go. There's the advice. Hopefully, you you know, in in six weeks, 12 weeks' time, when I check in on it, you, you know, it's made made a bit of a difference. I'll sign so, you up to hockey team. Oh, no, don't do that. I don't <laughs> have to play hockey. I've never played hockey. It's a far, far too tough a game for me.
0: Motivating Dave. Learning to
1: survive your 30s. So there you have it. That's episode one of Motivating Dave, a rather elongated episode one of Motivating Dave. It's uh, obviously won't always be that long, but I had to uh, fit in having a physical with a doctor who's basically told me that I'm uh, I'm fat and uh, unhealthy, <laughs> which is always nice. Um, so what am I going to do? Well, I'm sixteen stone, and by the summer I want to be thirteen stone. It's not a uh, it's not a massive task. It's something that I can do, and with the advice of the people I'm going to talk to, hopefully I can do it, and that's should hopefully bring my blood pressure down as well Uh, if you want updates on uh, upcoming episodes and any more little tidbits go to our social media channels we've got twitter and facebook that's at motivating dave Uh, and also thank you very much to christian from kids on bridges for letting me use his awesome tune as our theme music check them out on itunes it's well worth doing that until next time see you soon